Welcome to the School of Travel's podcast. I'm your host, Becky Gillespie, and each week I bring you stories of how travel can truly change your life if you take the chance to get out on the road and step out of your comfort zone. My guests also share travel tips and lessons they've learned along the way, which I hope inspires you to let travel be your teacher. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the School of Travel's podcast. I'd first like to wish you all a very happy holidays wherever you are in the world. I hope you've been able to spend some time with friends and family and do something special. I actually celebrated the holidays early with my family back in October in the U.S., and now I'm lucky to currently be in Buenos Aires, Argentina, where the summer has just started and I've been enjoying all the outdoor dining options that we have in the city. If anyone's looking for a great place to escape winter in the Northern Hemisphere, I've always found Argentina to be a great option, and I highly recommend it. Now, on to today's interview. I first met my guest Muj on the Nomad Cruise in November 2019. What really struck me about Muj when I met him, besides the fact that he was charming and handsome, was that he actually wasn't a digital nomad, yet he was on a Nomad Cruise. What I later learned was that Muj had already been on a mission for over a year to surround himself with digital nomads in the vacation time that he had from his corporate job. And he was trying to see if digital nomad life was for him and if he could get inspired to finally take the plunge and become a digital nomad himself. Little did we know that when the cruise ended, we were only a couple of months away from corporate office workers around the world being forced to work from home. And it was Muja's experience during the pandemic that really convinced him to get serious about becoming fully remote. What I really love about this conversation with Muj is how practical we get on the many things that can come when you consider actually starting to work from the road, including time differences, relationships, and how to find new community. I know you're going to love our conversation. And without further ado, here's Muj. Welcome to episode 66 of the School of Travels podcast. Today, listeners, I'm bringing to you an interview that I've been talking about doing with my friend for many, many months, actually. And he is finally starting his journey as a digital nomad. Muj, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Becky, for having me. Thank you for joining us, Muj. I'm excited because we're going to have this episode come out right at the end of 2021 as you start on this new journey into digital nomad life. And I know it's something that a lot of people have been dreaming about and pushing for since this pandemic started and they all, and a lot of people started working online. Yeah, great. I'm excited as well. I think it's perfect timing for me to broadcast my adventure to your fan base, your, your follower base. Thank you very much, Muj. Can you first start out? Can you tell us your full name and then tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. So my name is Mujtaba Seyfuddin, but my friends and family call me Muj. And so, Becky, you must call me Muj because you're my friend and family. Um, I will no, do no so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm based in Southern California in a really sexy city called Corona, <laughs> which is a horrible <laughs> name for oh a city God. given the circumstances. Um, oh man, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm actually at the borderline of Riverside and Corona, but it's it's pretty much Corona. So I, yeah, I'm I'm a walking coronavirus, as they say at work. <laughs> There's so many jokes we could make right now, but I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Trust me, I've heard them all. <laughs> so you're ready to get out of Corona? 
is what you're saying. I sure am. I sure am. You have no <laughs> idea. It's, it's very, very long overdue. Um, but yeah, you know, a little bit about me. I'm a recovering mechanical engineer who was in the aerospace industry for the bulk of my career in various cities, including San Diego and different parts of LA for different aerospace firms. And they were all very location dependent roles. And now I've kind of graduated to the, the cool crowd where I'm now a officially a digital nomad and have landed a job, which once was a side hustle. Now it's become a full-time gig, which I'm sure we'll explore later on. But now I'm a uh, full-time, yeah, nomad who can travel the world. As long as I'm working in North American time zones, I'm good to go. Congratulations. That is so exciting. <laughs> Thank you. And full disclosure to everyone, I actually met Muj on the Nomad Cruise at the end of 2019. And I don't know if uh, people are aware, but you can go on a Nomad Cruise and not be a Nomad yet, because that was the case for you at that time, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was a poser. I I actually just took vacation from work. And instead of going you know, two weeks to Hawaii or wherever, I chose to go on Nomad Cruise to pretend to be a digital nomad but with the intention of rubbing shoulders with people who are doing it and living the good life. And I wanted to absorb as much as I could about how they were doing it and what that lifestyle looked like and to kind of glean from them what the pitfalls, you know, what the pros and cons would be of a lifestyle like that. And actually, quite frankly, I, I and, and I don't mean any insult to any, any nomads out there, but I thought there were, there would be a lot more, Ah, uh, gosh, like with gr- grimy backpacks and living pretty much like like vagabonds, if you will, where, you know, kind of scrapping for change and all that. But it didn't you guys were living a very comfortable, very lavish life, given your remote, remote lifestyle and remote gigs. And so I was big takeaway from that was simply you could do quite well uh, financially and, and lifestyle wise by living remote and having a fully remote job. And a lot of whom were a lot of people I met were you know, not necessarily working for companies and getting a salary, but they were working on their own businesses and their own their own uh, initiatives. So super impressive and very eye opening. Yeah, I learned that, too, when I got started, that it wasn't just, you know, I think people we, we th- sometimes think we have to quit our jobs and then find something to become a nomad and an online job. But, you know, um, one thing we share in common is actually that you can start a side hustle, for example, start building up your potential online or all online life, and then start it after you quit your main job. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like being on the cruise you, and being around people that are digital nomads is, is very inspiring. But also, yeah, you, you learn to bust some of the myths but also learn about some of the norms of nomad life. So I'm really glad. I think it was really beneficial for you to take that trip. And, you know, little did we know at the time that the, that would be the last nomad cruise um, for now. But I'm sure that they, I have a really strong feeling it's going to come back and more people who have just started to learn about this life or look towards this life are going to have that chance to actually it's hard to work uh, while you're on the cruise, but I hope they'll get to take that journey yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. In fact, Actually, so I, I got my first kind of flavor of the nomad life on Nomad Train, which I highly recommend to those of your listeners who may not have heard of it or may not have done it. Um, but Nomad Train is where, you know, we took a, about 10 of us converged onto Moscow and we took a train from Moscow to Mongolia and stopped in different really cool cities along the way. 
And in each stop, we stayed in a decent hotel and had good Wi-Fi and were able to work on our different, uh, well, in my, in my case, I was just on holiday. But again, my fellow nomad travelers who were working were, you know, would plug in and do their jobs remotely. But that was my first taste of the nomad life. And somebody I met on that, um, on the nomad train, uh, Tymon, if I can mention his name, great, great, great guy. He got me warmed up about Nomad Cruise, and that's when I joined Nomad Cruise number seven, and then number 10, which is when I met you, Becky. That's so great. It was this time in um, from the Netherlands that I met yeah. on Nomad Cruise. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, he's a really, he's he's a really inspirational guy for me as well. That's that's great. Well, Absolutely. I think we should we should go back to more towards the beginning of your travel life. It sounds like you've had quite a few vacations while you were working. Um, let's say the regular nine to five life. What, how, how did your travels um, internationally begin? And then what kind of started leading you towards feeling like you wanted to start a nomadic life? Oh, that's a great question. Um, actually my travel kind of, uh, rhythm started at a really young age. My dad has this major wanderlust and is very much the believer of the adage that you only live once and life is short, you know. So he he is all about pulling us out of school growing up and taking us on these long vacations overseas, usually to Pakistan or India or you know Singapore, things like that, um, mostly Asia. And in doing so at a young age, you start to develop this love for the adventure of getting on an airplane and, you know, arriving at a new destination and meeting, in our case, there was a lot of friends and family living in those destinations. So you were always receiving a, well, a warm welcome and candy and gifts when you arrived. So, and everyone was obviously so happy to see you. So it really, it really helped develop our love affair with travel. And we did a lot of things like even taking a train cross country on the, you know, the Amtrak train from LA to, gosh, I think it was like Pittsburgh or something. I forget, but it was quite a long train journey. But it just goes to show that at a very young age, my dad really inculcated in us and it's myself and I have twin sisters and we're only 10 months apart. So the three of us are pretty much similar in age and, um, or the same age for two months of the year. And, um, um, we just really developed a love affair with travel. And so every year we would probably do about one or two countries a year growing up as kids and always missing school. <laughs> um, and then in adulthood, um, I took various aerospace jobs that would allow me to travel to my customer sites. Um, and more so in the more recent few, few years of my career where I was a regional sales manager for a, um, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but it was for laboratory hardware. So not the sexiest hardware on the aircraft, but very vital. Uh, yes. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I would travel the Asia Pacific region and meet with all the airlines in that region and a lot of um, um, MROs, which are maintenance, repair and overhaul facilities to kind of work with the airlines to help them understand our product and make sure they were OK with our service and our, our, our product line. Um, so I would, I was going to Maldives and Singapore and Australia and New Zealand and having a time of my life. And that's the best travel, by the way, is if you could travel for your job and have them foot the bill, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> but, oh yeah. I'm sure. Were you in the airline miles game as well? You know, no, but I learned that game the hard way or way after the fact. I wish I knew I'd known some of these things earlier. In fact, I, I learned about the whole mile game with some of the nomads I met on Nomad Cruise 7 and 10. 
But by then, I was on my tail end of my aerospace travel career, if you will, and shifting courses a little bit to a different aerospace company where there was almost no travel, which is the company I just left, by the way, to join my new role, uh, my new company in, in this new role. But um, yeah, I, I I did a lot of travel as a you know, regional sales manager for the Asia Pacific region. And prior to that, I would go a lot to Nagoya, Japan, uh, where Mitsubishi Regional Jet was or is. And for them, we were working on a auxiliary power jet engine um, for the Mitsubishi regional jet. So I would be going there a lot to work with our Japanese customers and uh, work on integrating a jet engine into their aircraft. So by that time, you had nothing to do with toilets or laboratory hardware because they just have such amazing toilets there. I have to say. Oh, gosh. You know, it's funny how... (laughs) I probably shouldn't say this on a podcast that a lot of people might hear. And in fact, it might even get to my old colleagues, but we, we, um, those, those, those things are so expensive. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but one little faucet on a, you know, 737 aircraft, those things go for like 30 grand in the aftermarket. It's a pretty huge markup. <laughs> oh so my goodness. You can blame me for your high ticket prices on, on aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> I have always had a dream, though, to have a, um, a a Japanese toilet in my future home. I mean, it's incredible. And uh, you're speaking to my Japanese heart with all this travel to Japan. I hope that you did you get to see and do some Japanese travel while you were there? Or was it mainly with the company and staying in the hotel? Yeah, it was mostly the latter. Um, although I was because I was single and wasn't trying to rush home to a family. Um, when I would travel, I would try to stay like a weekend and stay a little longer. Um, in country and check out some of the local sites, uh, whereas my colleagues were a little older and they might leave as soon as the meeting was over to head back home to their families. But I definitely stuck around for a day or two. And my, you know, in, in business travel, as some of your audience might know, when you travel for work, they oftentimes will pay for uh, an upgrade so you can fly first class or business class. But what I would do is I would just say, hey, hey, boss, I'm going to go uh, economy but the money I'm saving not flying, you know, business class, can I apply that to an extra couple of nights in a hotel in country? And more often than not, they were okay with it because it was still cheaper to pay for my hotel for a couple of days extra than have me go, you know, with uh, business class. So that was one of my little hacks that I would do often to get more time in country and have it be paid for. Oh, that's a great hack for anyone who's still having to take these business trips. Although I, I imagine that the business, I mean, I, I would, I know that your business trips had to have completely gone away in these last couple of years. Um, did that play any role in you really wanting to push this like nomadic life forward or preparing for that? Oh, that's a good question. So actually when the pandemic hit and when travel pretty much stopped, I was working in a a different aerospace company where we make composite fiber jet engine parts. And that job had almost no travel because we were so small that most of the time our big customers like Pratt & Whitney or GE, they would come to us and they would see a few other suppliers in the area. So we never really went there. They came to us. Um, And even that was limited because of COVID. But yeah, so my travel stopped. And that's when I really started to feel the the, the itch of, God, I'm not even traveling for work. You know, personal travel is limited now with COVID as well. Like I just had, I got really antsy at, at the office. And that was really the, probably the main trigger to have me 
just bite the bullet and leave aerospace altogether to join this tech company. Yeah, it's something we haven't addressed on the podcast yet, but like all these people that have these nine to five jobs, but they included so much business travel that I'm sure it was this really welcome respite from always being at the desk in the office. And now I can imagine I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. Like, do you think that business travel is ever going to be the way it was before the pandemic? You know, it's a good question. And I'm of the opinion that I don't think it'll ever be the same because we've proven to a lot of companies and a lot of industries that they can get business deals done via Zoom, right? Or other, or the equivalent of Zoom. So in fact, we were doing a lot of calls um, in aerospace at this company via Zoom. And it turned out to be relatively comfortable and relatively easy to get the point across. And even to the extent where on a few occasions, we'd have our cell phone cameras pointing at the part that we're talking about, you know, call it a a jet engine outer bypass duct, for example, and we would be showing the customer some certain surface level, you know, issues or inconsistencies with the part, and they were able to see it clearly. And while they couldn't feel it, they could see it and we could articulate the dimensions of the, the issue. And it was sufficient to solve the problem and fix our process. So I think slowly but surely we're we're proving to, you know, even the old school aerospace community in that world, which is Genuinely pretty slow to adopt these new gadgets, you know, in, in day-to-day life. Um, but we've proven to the aerospace community that, hey, yeah, you can use Zoom and other online tools or web-based tools to get the job done. Yeah, so even sales managers, you would think the people in that, like, meeting showing the product, yeah, they're not going to have that. They're not going to be traveling at the same level anymore. I, I feel like it's only going to be very high-level executives that are going to continue to get these like business class flights. I agree. I agree. And I think it's also depending on deal size. So if the deal size is of, of large enough, you know, and uh, to your point where it would probably require an executive to go and close that, you know, substantial deal, it would make sense to be, uh, to be, uh, you know, do a face to face deal. But now it's like, for the most part, most contract negotiations or, you know, um, even the smaller sales campaigns can all be done via Zoom. And it's it's quick, it's efficient. And I think now, I mean, even with the economy being what it is, and I mean, I'm I'm bracing for a reckoning, if you will, where there's going to be a big correction. And I feel like that's going to also drive a lot more tightening of budgets and travel will be even more limited. Not to be doom and gloom, but that's just the reality we we're in. So, yeah, I, I don't I just don't think it's going to be like the old days. Yeah, so I, I, I'm guessing that you felt, as you said, like when you couldn't travel anymore with your work and you were stuck in the office, that's when things really started to shift for you. And so can you tell us about how you got this side hustle and when that started going and what happened from there? Yeah, yeah sure. So I left that laboratory job, um, that sales manager role in like March of 2018 and, um, I really have to use this pun, but it was a shitty job. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It was it was great. Uh, the company was great. The role was a lot of fun. Um, but I, I left the company in March 2018 and spent that summer on Nomad Train. And then that evolved into Nomad Cruise later on that year. And when I came back from Nomad Cruise 7, I started and I wasn't back on that aerospace saddle yet. I wasn't working with the new company. Um I actually, so what happened was, full disclosure, I got laid off from that, that laboratory company or the 
that company with lavatories in March because of the market was softening and I had hired myself out of a role because I hired somebody in Singapore to be my, my boots on the ground to that region so I could focus on two big customers in California, both of whom for reasons um, I probably can't get into, but it was a contract issue. They closed the doors to all business with my company for a while. And so that rendered me obsolete. So I actually got let go and I was doing some contract work um, in between, you know, the different nomad excursions. But um, in, gosh, in like November of that year, I started looking for, for roles in tech sales. And that's when I discovered this company called Logistic. And I ended up calling the director of sales one day to say, hey, can I, you know, I'm looking, you guys are, they were, they had some roles posted for, for sales managers and sales directors. And so I applied for a role and he called me right away and he's, he thought I had applied. I, I was a, um, a prospect for the service that they were offering. And it, it turned out that, so he thought he called me right away after I, I clicked submit. For whatever reason, he got an email notification and thought that I was a prospect. So he called me and we had a chat and he's trying to sell me on this great service. And I'm thinking, um, wait, I'm, I applied for a job there, not to be, you know, not to reduce my shipping costs, which is what they, what they do. Um, so anyway, long story short, I, we had a great conversation, we became friends. And then about a month later, I ended up becoming a referral partner with him. And around that same time, I had joined this uh, new company that in, in aerospace that does composite jet engine design um, of jet engine components. So here I am. I'm working at this aerospace company, my nine to five. And then I had this side hustle whereby I would basically t- scour my network of friends and family and see if they were interested in reducing their shipping costs at whatever companies they worked at. Um, and a lot of my peers, you know, run small businesses or um, work for large companies, but in a senior role where they actually care about the bottom line. So I would reach out to all of my aerospace and or family network and friends network and pitch the value proposition of logistic to them. And I did fairly well, got a lot of good, good leads in the pipeline for logistic to the point where, you know, fast forward about a year later, um, they started to, highly encouraged me to join them as a full-time sales director. And I kept kind of shying away from it because I was never, A, I wasn't confident in my ability to really be a tried and true sales guy. Um, I've, I've really only been in aerospace and project management, program management, and systems engineering. Of course, for that short stint when I was the Asia Pacific regional manager of sales, but that was a lot more it was less sales, a lot more just customer retention and making sure they liked our product on, on the laboratory side. So it wasn't a lot of cold calling. There wasn't that true sales kind of dynamic. So I just didn't have confidence in myself to be, to be really frank that I would do well in a, um, as a full-time sales director. And also I was running out of network of, of people in my network anyway to talk to about it. So I felt like if I joined them full time, then by that time, because I was a referral partner for a year and I already scoured my network, that I'd run out of business to bring in. So there was that fear as well. Interesting. So I have a couple of questions, first of all, before we yeah. continue. Did you find this uh, when you say you submitted an application? Did you find them on LinkedIn or how did you find that company? Oh, that's a good question. Um, 
No, you know what? It was Indeed.com, I think. That's what I used quite a bit back then. Okay, I'm just asking because I know that people listening to this might want to try to figure out how they can find their first remote job. And yeah, okay, that's a very common big yeah. company to to help find it on job search. So, okay. And then I think you've uncovered, perhaps uncovered a hack for people who want to get a quick response from companies they submit applications to if it's a product. Perhaps you can pose as someone who needs that product to get your foot in the door. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm still to this day, and I should probably talk to my buddy, um, who's now my colleague, but what what happened there. But yeah, I had submitted a what I thought, I'm pretty sure it was a job application or a job interest request through their, their website, and it triggered something on his end as if I was a prospect interested in the value prop. It may have also just been him kind of maybe m- misinterpreting an email that he saw in his inbox. I don't know, but but yeah, it worked in my favor and you know, here we are a couple of years later and I'm his his counterpart. So Yeah, and I also like what you said about like you didn't think you were skilled enough, but you know, you, you did have some related skills and I actually shout out to my friend Juliana Robbie who also has been on Nomad Cruise, but I watched a presentation by her last week and she's a LinkedIn remote job coach. And she does say that if you any of your related skills or any skills you've ever had in any of your jobs in the past can transfer to something remote. And it sounds like you had dipped your toe into the sales world. But like you said, you didn't have the confidence. But then it turned out that you were very capable of doing that job. So I think for people listening, like, you know, get creative with how you can start to get the job remotely that you're looking for, you know. Absolutely. And, and one thing I've learned, um, this is a great surprise, but in this new role I'm in as a, as a sales director, I'm not expected to know everything right away. There's this obviously an onboarding period. There's obviously a period to warm up to the product line and the service. And uh, while I've had a couple of years as a referral partner to kind of learn the product line, I still didn't really know it until you're doing it full time. And I was given a pass because I was just a part-timer doing it on the side. But now that I'm full-time, yeah, there is the expectation to know what I'm talking about and, and articulate the value proposition well, but they don't expect it on day one. So, and if you're, you know, one thing I, I can't stress enough is they, you know, if you join a good team, they want to help you succeed and, and they want to see you succeed. And therefore, they give you all the tools you need to be successful because your success ultimately equals their success and and it might not it's not even just a sales role I mean, i'm sure any role you you join at a company they care about your success and they'll invest in it and that's what i'm experiencing and it's been oh, oh my god it's been so awesome since i've joined oh i'm so happy to hear you're enjoying it when did you go full-time yeah so i started november 7th so it's been almost a month it'll be a month tomorrow Oh, wow. And and I'm curious, like, what is your day to day look like right now? Is it remote yet? Or is it like, how are you working remotely? Because this is interesting, because a lot of people when they work remotely, it looks very different from person to person. Sometimes it's like, you have to be on a like US time. And so even if you're in yeah. Europe, you've got to work US hours, or sometimes you just you have calls all day long. Sometimes there's no calls, but you're doing something like coding or something online. So what is your day-to-day look like right now? No, that's a good question. So we've got a lot of these really nifty CRM, you know, these customer resource management tools at our disposal and that we're encouraged to use. And some of these tools are so advanced that they kind of map out your day because, oh, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. So even though I'm a 
officially a senior director of sales, I'm I'm being encouraged to start off doing some cold calls and more in the BD type of role, just to kind of form and develop an appreciation for what the BD folks do, which is literally going out there and cold calling and finding leads and cultivating those leads and nurturing them such that they become prospects um, or qualified leads so that they actually become potential business opportunities. So there's a lot of scouring the, you know, Zoom info and scouring the web for companies that we think could benefit from our service and then cold calling them to see if there's actual genuine interest and if they actually meet the some of the requirements we have as a potential cl- customer. And then we, you know, bring them into our pipeline. So um, I am actually spending the first two or three months um, doing that cold calling and prospecting type of role. And with the, and man, I'm telling you, I have developed such an appreciation for those folks at the front lines who made calls to, you know, cold calls to people. And in, in our case, we're calling CEOs, CFOs, and, you know, operations managers in the logistics um, under that paradigm. So that, I should probably tell you what I'm doing, who I work for. So uh, if I may, Becky, I work for a company called Logistic, and we are a very data-centric tech type of company but in the logistics space. And what we're doing is essentially we've created this, this free um, platform. It's a, you know, automatic cost savings uh, platform and a data analytics platform that helps companies reduce their shipping costs. And really kind of t- to really sum it up, all they have to do is plug in their carriers that they use like UPS, FedEx, DHL into our platform. And then our platform will download that data from those those carrier websites or those their from their their data sets, and our engine, our platform will analyze that data to show a company where they're overspending on shipping. And a lot of times, UPS and FedEx or DHL um, charge a bunch of erroneous fees and surcharges to every single shipment. And so, a lot of companies are too small or don't have the bandwidth to analyze every line item on an invoice to make sure they were charged correctly. And there's also a lot, I mean, the, the, the bulk of it is if you ship something overnight, for example, with UPS and you pay a premium for that service, more often than not, they don't meet that requirement and they don't ship that part or that parcel and exactly the, the, the time frame or that window that they promise in their terms of carriage. And so technically, if let's say you ship a product, a, a box that needs to go uh, next day air or even next day ground, and it's got to be there in 24 hours, and you pay a premium for that service, if that parcel gets to its destination in 24 hours and two minutes, technically that premium you paid should be refunded back to you. But most companies don't even know they have that capability to even claim that refund. And if they they know how to do it, if they, if they know they can do it, but they don't know how to do it, so that's where we come in. So long story short, I'm in this, this relatively... Um, it's it's not the sexiest of industry, but I think it's fascinating. I love the value proposition, and that's also why I joined because I've I've literally helped a lot of my friends and family in my network, you know, look like heroes at their companies because they helped save on shipping costs. So, anyway, so let me tell you now what. Um, actually, I just lost my train of thought. What were we? What was the question? <laughs> we I was asking what your daily, what your yeah. Right, right now, what your daily work, a day in the life of your new nomad life looks like as as the job, because, again, a lot of people sometimes even don't think I work when they see me walking around at 2 p.m. on a Tuesday 
you know, outside shopping, but there's still a lot of work that nomads have to do. And what does your work look like at the moment? Yeah, no, good. Okay. So right now, because I'm, I'm still relatively new at the company and I want to make a good impression and I'm learning the, the business development side of the, of the house first, I am literally waking up at like 7 a.m. logging on to our, or what's called outreach, which is a really cool tool that kind of maps out all my activities for the day. And we have, I'm literally making calls all morning, sending out cold emails and following up on those emails with phone calls and logging the outcome of those calls. And it's very, it's very tactical. It's, it's very, um, it's just a lot of busy work. And then I do take some breaks every now and then to watch a few, listen to a few sample, uh, calls that are like my, my colleagues have made who are more senior that we re- have recorded just to get a flavor of how they communicate and how the customer interactions tend to go. So I could be prepared for some curveballs when I make a cold call. So there's a lot of just scouring through old recorded uh, customer calls to kind of learn the, the tricks of the trade. Um, so it's a very much a, you know, head, head down, making calls, writing emails from 7.30 a.m. till 4 p.m. or 5 p.m. I really, um, it doesn't, it's not that sexy kind of nomadic where I'm, I'm able to, you know, walk away for a couple hours, go hit the gym. It's right now, it's just very tactical and very much a, um, and I'm also tracked, by the way, by how many calls I make and how many emails I write. So there's that kind of pressure too. But I could do it from anywhere. Um, I just choose right now to do it from home because I know the Wi-Fi is good. And I have this this whole setup in my in my room, so I know that I can be it's it's reliable. So one of my big unknowns or fears, which I'm sure we'll get into later on, is just okay. Now that I I've you know I've, I've done a good job at home, now I got to take my setup and replicate it somewhere else. You know, be it in Buenos Aires or in Mexico City, wherever I end up going um, in the new year. That's my biggest fear. Is I got to make sure that I'm plugged in, everything's working properly. And that I, I look decent in the video, which is important too. <laughs> oh, so you're dealing with the video side of things too, because that's a whole other level of the Wi-Fi that you need. Yeah, and I'm um, glad you brought that up because now I'm I'm I can sense by the the way you framed that 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 might not be very easy during my travels to get good Wi-Fi where I can even do video. Well, I wanted to spell that myth because it is it is definitely possible. But yes, it is something to think about. And I I will tell you something I heard just last week, because I attended this nomad conference. uh, And a lot of Airbnb executives were at the conference. And they told me that they are introducing into Airbnb, the upload and download speeds of the Wi Fi in each listing of the apartments. And that was so exciting to learn because that's always what the first thing a lot of nomads will check as they go into the the property. But of course, all you can all you can find out about Wi-Fi connections is just usually from people's reviews. So that's that's a really big step, and I think that will really help you as you start traveling from place to place. Oh, uh, definitely. I'm I'm glad you mentioned all this. <laughs> this is a great this is a great feedback for me. Um, yeah, I'm not sure when. I, I hope maybe by the new year they're going to put that in if it's not already in some markets. But yeah, that's a great way to, of course, like check when you go into each apartment. But there's so many places around the world now where you can get good Wi-Fi. My my thought for you is and, and for other people with jobs 
such as yourself with calls and, and being on video, uh, a lot of people can't or they feel like they can't use co-working spaces because of, of the nature of their work. And it is still possible. I think in that case, it's good to maybe go someplace for a little bit longer and become a member of that co-working space. Uh, so you can find an office like setting if you don't want to work at home. But if you do plan and feel more comfortable working at home, then, yeah, I would I would start checking first on Airbnb for like the upload and download speeds, which should soon become available. No, that's great. Appreciate that. Good tip. Yeah, I think Airbnb is is realizing the shift as well for them in who's traveling and how long people are staying places. And there is a a, a great increase in remote work and even people in the U.S. that are, you know, they're just moving a couple cities over, let's say, to try a different location. They still are going to stay there probably for, let's say, a month and they, they want to have a, they need a better co- connection. So I'm glad they're taking us into consideration and these new remote workers. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Yeah, there's there's no bigger fear I have than on a you know, talking to a big customer and trying to close a deal. And then all of a sudden my video freezes and it's some awkward facial expression that I've made. And that becomes stuck on the screen for 10 minutes or something. And then, yeah, the deal momentum dies. So I got to, that's, that's good. Yeah. And, and also um, what you said, I guess it sounds like you need to be on us hours if they're tracking you and, and how many calls you're making. Is that correct? That is true. Yeah. So one of the things in talking to uh, the co-founder when I was doing the interview process was, hey, you know, I'd like to work remote. I want to be overseas. He's like, yeah, cool. No problem. It's, that's what we're doing. It's, it's perfectly OK. But, you know, just be careful that we, we would need you to be on American time zone. So that kind of limits my geographic uh, radius to pretty much Central and South America, I would think. Um, so which is fine. Yeah. yeah. And I think it also it, it's like you can adjust where where you go. Like I would say even West, far Western Europe, you could also work in that time zone. But just with the understanding that you're going to be starting, I can't do the math exactly, but like, let's say 4 p.m. instead of 7 a.m. And that you'll you'll be aware that you'll work, let's say, till midnight. But, you know, maybe in some cities such as Barcelona, they just had dinner or you can join them for dinner at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have. Yeah, a different lifestyle for a while, but there are there there are ways to be flexible. And I'm also saying this to make people aware, yeah, that you can there's like research the cities where you're going and the the customs and the nightlife and things like that too to just know what you're getting into in different places and what's possible. Agreed. Yeah, good point. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, first of all, it's really exciting that you are completely remote working at home and I I assume that this is fully remote no matter where you would be, like you said, like you don't have to be working at home, but you've just chosen that for now. Um, so where is the the next place that you would like to go once you decide to leave your home and start working? Yeah, somewhere no, else? great question. Yeah, yeah, no, I've already kind of mapped out. I'm, I'm planning on doing Mexico starting essentially Christmas Eve and going to stop. My first stop is um, Cancun and then I'm going to go with a few friends to Merida and Oh man, I'm gonna butcher this, but Valladolid, where Chichen Itza is, and then um, oh yes, yeah, I'll spend about a week there. But essentially, my my first stop is Cancun, and I gosh, I hope there's good Wi-Fi, and um, I plan to stick around long enough to enjoy the nomad base in in uh, Playa del Carmen. 
Can you explain what the Nomad base is to people that aren't aware? Oh, yeah. So, well, my understanding is Nomad base is kind of like Nomad Cruise, where, you know, several nomads from around the world converge in one city for what used to be a conference at sea. Now it's a conference on land and we'll be in Playa del Carmen. And, you know, there's going to be workshops on different types of remote careers. There's going to be skill sharing. There's, I'm sure, going to be some acro yoga of some sort someday. But pretty much a a conference or a um, a workshop on something pertaining to the nomad life, be it how to pack, you know, efficiently, be it how to you know find travel hacks, be it how to grow your 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 fan base for your you know for a podcast or for a blog. Um, so anything that pertains to the nomad life and nomad careers, there's probably a workshop for it, and it's usually led by other nomads who have done it and who are doing it and are doing well at it. And it's just a great way to skill share and, and be inspired, really. That's such a great way to start your whole nomad life. And I know you've been like with this group and you know some people already that will be at Nomad Base, but like it's, it's great to see this trajectory you've had to like build up to be truly becoming remote. And I think it's a great way for other people who haven't even started or are just getting their first remote jobs to plug into the community right away. And I will put a link to Nomad Base uh, on our, the school of travels.com as well. Thank you for that reminder. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't emphasize enough just how supportive and how collaborative uh, the the nomads are. And the, a, a big reason why I'm doing this, you know, why I've made the career switch and, you know, even taken a bit of a pay cut to do this is because it's it's not so much just a bunch of nomads hanging out, but it's like a family. It, it gen, they, they genuinely have your back. There's people I'm still in touch with from Nomad Cruise and Nomad Train that genuinely care about my you know, career and personal well-being and who want to see me travel and want to see me because they know, I mean, there's a certain kind of, oh gosh, a certain kind of um, spark or energy that you just feel at these, on these nomad events. And I feel like everyone's true character and, and your excitement comes out on these trips. And I feel like I've told a lot of nomads over the years that, gosh, I can't wait to do this full time. I can't wait to be like you guys. And I'm, you know, I promise you someday I'll do it and I'll take the plunge. And I've thrown it out there so many times that now it's time to actually put my money where my mouth is. And they've kind of implicitly held me accountable because I made so many promises. So I'm, yeah, I owe it to my nomad community and nomad family to just take the plunge. And that's what I'm doing. And I'm super excited about it. Oh, I'm so excited for you because I remember that was you've been telling me this even when we first met back in 2019 and who knew what was about to happen like the next month or two later. So, I mean, you've done it. And I think from now it's just going to be step by step and it's just be, going to become easier and easier for you to adjust. I will say one thing when you were talking, it crossed my mind that like you're going to start on such a high with your nomad family. But also, as people think about becoming remote, it's it's interesting to see the difference, too, when you're not in a, the middle of a conference with nomads or at an event, because it's that in-between that can sometimes, you know, people can feel lonely or they're not sure, like, where do I find my like-minded people now that I'm working in an apartment alone? So what are you planning or do you have any thoughts for what you're going to do after Nomad Base finishes, for example, and you're still in Mexico or or what are your what would be your plans for in between going to these events? 
No, that's a great question. And I'm, I have, I have not thought that through to be really frank and I'm still toying with my strategy, but one thing I might do, um, is try one of those like remote year or hacker paradise or some of those more curated programs where they're like one month stints in different countries or different cities rather in different countries. And you can like, for example, I, I think it's hacker paradise that has a nice program in around the March timeframe in, in Buenos Aires. So yes, alone, where I am I'm now, like, <laughs> right? So, so I feel like there's, there's ways to do it without doing it alone where you're kind of, you're joining another curated program with nomads who converge on a city and they've already got, you know, the organization or the, the, the planners, if you will, already have a, you know, a co-working space identified, a co-living space identified, and the program's all structured for a one-month stint. I think that, to me, seems more palatable um, so I can slowly wean myself off the, the, the group aspect of it and then slowly start doing stuff on my own. But I'm going to probably start with a one-month with a bunch of nomads in a new city and then potentially by then after a month you kind of have a lay of the land you've made some local friends so that when the nomads leave and they go on somewhere else i feel comfortable sticking around because i've built some sort of rapport with the locals and feel comfortable there so that's going to be my i think my strategy and not just go blindly somewhere alone and then hope to make friends and figure it out I think that's a great strategy. And I was going to say, like, those kind of programs such as Hacker Paradise or Remote Year, I think they're now flexible enough that you don't have to join for, for example, Remote Year. It sounds like you join for a year, but now it's like you can choose when and where you're going to be a part of it for a minimum of a month. So if it's if they move to a time zone that doesn't work for you, you could just say, I don't need to pay for that month. I'm going to stop here for now and let's say stay in Buenos Aires. Yeah, in fact, I think I want to say it's remote year has now two week programs as well. So you oh, can that's go great. Like short. Yeah, so they've they've got several different options. And in fact, there's several different um, um organizations like remote year that have different duration uh, trips overseas. So plenty of options. Yeah, and there's retreats. There's a lot of different things. I think a lot of the retreats. You know, you, you need to make sure that you're able to work there or you take that the time off and you go there and you meet people and then maybe make plans with those people to go to another spot and you resume working. But there's so many ways to mix and match this experience. And really, you never have to be alone now that the nomad scene has been out there for like more than 10 years now. Um, I think a lot of new remote workers don't realize this and how much there is available. But I think you're going to have no trouble, especially with the history of being with the nomads already that you have to get into this and feel comfortable. Agreed. I hope so. Yep. Yep. I feel the same way. Um, gosh, I can't wait. <laughs> I'm just so excited about this. Yeah. And so uh, I need to, I want to ask too, cause this is another hack for people that become remote workers. Like if you go to Cancun or Playa del Carmen, of course you're there with nomad base, but if you went there and let's say the nomad base was not there and you had to choose a hobby that you were going to get into in Cancun or Playa del Carmen to meet locals, what hobby would you look for while you were there as a way to meet people? Wow. That's a great question. Um, gosh. This is the way I think when I'm going to a new place at this point in my nomad, like if I'm doing adventurous travel and going to a brand new place, this is how I think when I'm going. Huh? 
I need to give that some thought. I mean, I'm really into um, flying, right? As you know, I'm I'm a private pilot, so I would love to do stuff like that. But obviously, in a new country, it's probably difficult to just jump on a plane and fly around. But what I would I'm getting into paragliding, and the reason I, I even thought of Mexico in the first place is because just south of Mexico City is a place called Valle de Bravo, where they do year-round paragliding training. So my my long-term play in Mexico is to get you know get confident enough to make it make it out to Mexico City and and Valle de Bravo on my own to do that paragliding course. But if I was in Playa del Carmen and had to find a hobby to meet locals, I mean maybe surfing, but Oh man, I've I've tried it here in San Diego and in other parts of LA, and I suck. And so <laughs> that might actually make people want to stay away from me because <laughs> I have bad luck on surfboards. I in fact just about two weeks ago broke a board in half because oh, I no. totally, totally ate it. Yeah, so I'm I'm I am the example of what not to do on a surfboard for for what it's worth. And so I should probably not do that. Um, you never yeah, know. I mean, I mean, <laughs> There's surfers cafes, for example, where you just like can meet like-minded people, but not have to do the actual sport. Yeah, there, there we go. Maybe I'll just do that. Maybe I'll just start start running again. Start maybe if there's some running groups or something. I don't know, but that's that's something I have to give I have to give some thought. That's a good it's a good way to meet people. I got to figure something out. Yeah, I I do go to running groups. That is a great place to go if you're if you've even uh, if you've ever had running experience at all. Like consider getting back into it when you go to these new places. That that's definitely a good one. Um, even even hiking groups. There's always there always seems to be hiking groups in different areas. If they're if you're anywhere near trails and um, board games, I see a lot of board game groups around the world, and that's you know something we can all sit down and and try to get back into if we oh, haven't done it in a while yeah sounds, just some of the common I mean, themes i might i know mexico is a, a hot spot for health and wellness and yoga so i, I mean i'm i'm just kind of getting into yoga now um especially after all those acro yoga events on on the nomad cruises i feel like i need to get you know get my balance right so um i am now doing yoga twice or thrice a week so that might be something to do as well in in mexico on the regular yeah it's 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 also i had a friend that went to mexico city who he didn't see anything he liked on meetup.com for example and he was feeling a little lonely and he just started his own meetup event and said i'm gonna put exactly what i'm looking for out there and then see who shows up and i think five people showed up but he made friends with these people and, and, you know, more people started coming each week. So you can also make it happen. There you go. Hey, forge your own path. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. So that is a great place to go. And so after you're saying Mexico and then what is it about Buenos Aires that is, for example, I know you'd mentioned that. What is calling you to Buenos Aires? What's exciting for you about that oh, city? Uh, yeah. I'm not sure if I can say this on a podcast, but um, I'm also single and I'm looking for a wife. And I feel like everyone I talk to says the the people down there are very friendly and the culture is very warm and the food is great. And so I feel like that might be a good place to, you know, to really spend some time and try to find Miss Wright. That's that's the other. In fact, I didn't mention this uh, in our conversation, but a, a big reason why I am doing this um, remote job is because I need to start focusing on finding Miss Wright because I kind of I do want a family and I do want to be be married and have kids. So 
I'm not doing myself a service by working a nine to five and just living at home and then driving, you know, an hour to the office and back like I was doing for years and in a very male dominated environment and just not really meeting people because I'm always, you know, and when, when you come home after a long day at work and you're sitting in traffic for, you know, an hour and a half each way, you're angry, you're frustrated, you're tense, you don't want to go out. So my social life was pretty, pretty weak. And then also you throw on top of that COVID. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm making And you live a- in Corona. Who wants to visit yeah. you there? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, it's not a very cool place to, it's, it's, yeah. So, yeah, so I've got to, you know, it's, it's strategic in that I'm, I'm able to be, you know, I'm flexible. So if I, if I meet a great girl somewhere, um, I can, you know, configure some things and change my lifestyle a little bit and head over to, you know, where she is and, and try to cultivate something, um, and be local to her. So, and yeah, and I'm not, I'm not confining myself either to just, you know, the California market, obviously. So I'm, I'm, I'm global. I'm, I'm going to go everywhere to find her. And so, and I know it sounds kind of cliche or cheesy, but, um, but that is probably 50% of the push to go remote, to be really honest with you. No, I'm so glad you shared that because, I mean, I really think we're covering so many different reasons and benefits to being remote and possibilities. And I, I love also that you said, like, you're willing to go local for this person if you meet somebody in a different country. And it doesn't have to be another nomad either. And I mean, different episode, but there there are, you know, a nomadic couple comes with its own issues. Um, we often want to go where we want to go when we want to go there, no matter who's coming with us. But if you do meet someone special in a country where you visit, I mean, be, now that you're remote, you can be flexible for that person. You know, what if they're like this a surgeon in a hospital and, and you think that's a beautiful thing and they're this beautiful person? You could just move to that country, hopefully and potentially. Um, it's a, it's another issue with visas as well and figuring that out, but there are many flexible things you can do nowadays. And I think that's really, really nice. And I'm wishing you the best for that too. You just never know what's going to happen. Thank you. Yeah. I'm I'm excited about that adventure as well. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of, I mean, I've also seen, I just said like, it doesn't have to be a nomad person, but there's also like, there's even now like nomad dating sites just for people that are nomads to meet each other. Because sometimes we find that there are, you know, there's no one who understands us quite like another nomad <laughs> who can move with us. But, yeah, it's so many different shapes that this nomad life takes. And I'm sure you're going to find what fits what, what fits best for you. I sure hope so. I'm ready. So how have these last few weeks been for you now that you you are fully remote? What's how does how does it feel different from that office life? You know, it's it's great. But I found that I actually work a lot harder. Um, when I'm remote and I'm at home because I have no distractions like you would have at the workplace. So I'm a lot more efficient and probably a lot more productive at home. Um, the one thing is, is I, I have raised the ire of my family because I, you know, I'm traditional Pakistani Indian upbringing and my dad and I have clashed over my decision to go remote and to take a substantial pay cut from a, from a base salary perspective. Um, and seemingly in his eyes, I've left a very you know, a lucrative, very prestigious career in aerospace for something that he thinks it's just you know, chasing the wind and doing some sales at cold calls. He thinks it's a big step down. But so we clash on that. So that makes and then my dad and my mother and my grandmother live with me at the moment. So which is another reason I want to leave because it's 
I love them. Don't get me wrong, but it's, you know, it's time to have my own space again. Um, but yeah, so the, the environment at home can be a little bit tense because it is a large kind of a culture clash to go from aerospace and what kind of what image that brought to the family to now being essentially in my dad's eyes, having taken a step backward. But what he doesn't realize is I'm a lot happier for it. And I try to explain that to him and slowly and surely he's, he's going to warm up to the idea once he, you know, sees that pep in my step. But right now it's still that kind of awkward transition phase from what he thought was a awesome career path to, to this. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's, it's, oh yeah, it's the, it's a thing we don't usually talk about after, especially after we're a certain age and we're like, I'm going to travel. I've quit my job. It's the family. It's like how the family reacts to this big lifestyle change that you make as a nomad. I know so many of my friends that when they do talk about their family, it's often, you know, there are struggles. They're getting pushback from family members, even sometimes years after they've started traveling. You just never know. But I have also found a lot of family members, they do eventually warm up to it if you stick with it and you're, yeah, you're continuing to make money and and really, like you said, show how happy you are. So that's I'm really yeah. like, you know, I think it's great that you're pushing forward with this because you know how it makes you feel. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think that that is definitely something that I, I would encourage anyone who's struggling with or dealing what I'm dealing with is I think the proof's in the pudding. So even though the struggle might be difficult in the beginning, as it is for me now, I have no I have no reservations that a year from now I'm going to be a because I'm, I'm enjoying my lifestyle and I'm happy traveling and I'm in my element. I'll be that much more successful career wise. And then all the other social like, you know, finding finding Miss Right will happen. Everything else will just fall into place when you're in a better state of mind. And I feel like for the longest time in aerospace, I was lying to myself that, oh, yeah, this is the right thing to do. You know, chase that salary, chase that nine to five rhythm. But at the end of the day, we all end up underground at some point. So why not just follow our true calling, follow our true, you know, kind of just just find happiness. And even if that means. You know, and, and one thing I've fallen prey to is I used to equate how much money I made with happiness, and that's complete BS because the happiest people I know are the ones who probably don't make what my, you know, what I or my peers made, but they're genuinely happy. And then you look at my friends who have, you know, gobs of money, but they, A, they, they, they're miserable. They, they look aged, you know, they are, they are of poor health, um, always getting sick because your mind's not in the right place. So, I really feel like you get your mind right, you get your circumstances right, and you're genuinely happy, everything else will follow. And that's what I'm I'm ready for. I can't think of a better way to end this podcast, Mooj. That was beautiful. <laughs> I was like, oh, you know, I really am so excited for you. And I, I feel like I need to come back and revisit you after one year or something of your journey. I hope we can do that one year from now. Will you, will you come back on the podcast and let us know how it went? My pleasure. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've got our we've got our signpost here. It's end of 2021, so let's see end of 2022 how it's going. Done, done, and done. Awesome. Or to it. Well, I hope I get to see you in person. Maybe we can do it in Mexico. Maybe we can see each other at the Nomad Base. I'm hoping. I will say flight prices for Buenos Aires are quite expensive right now because it's summertime here and people are wanting to travel, but there's not a lot of flights available. So. I will be I will let you know but I hope I hope we can get to see to see each other in Mexico. 
I hope so too. And if not, if for any reason it doesn't work out, I will try to come see you in, in uh, Argentina if you're still there. Awesome. You have points now, right? Points for travel, like travel points. Points, points, points for travel, because that's the way I would tell people. Any Americans out there that get that got points, use the points when you come to Buenos Aires, because it is an expensive airport to fly into sometimes. Gotcha. Certain times. Well, of the year. I have a, I have a little secret in that one of my best friends works for Delta Airlines, and so another hack that I recently, well, just fell upon is she offered to put me on her companion pass list. So now. I can fly wherever Delta flies. Um, oh, so. wow. That is, <laughs> you are going to be sitting pretty as a nomad. What? <laughs> Fantastic. So another hack for your your listeners is just make friends with people who work at airlines, I guess. That might be another uh, <laughs> another workaround. Yeah, yeah, sounds like it. Well, thank you again, Muj. It was incredible talking with you and hearing your story. I'm so excited for you. And all the best as you make your first trip over to Cancun and start your nomad journey. Thank you, Becky. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again, Muj, for giving us a real-life picture of what it's like for someone to consider going fully remote. And congratulations again for really doing it. I wish you the best of luck during your journey and can't wait to see you again soon. We're going to come back in one year, listeners, and see how Muj's first year on the road went and see how it matched his expectations. So stay tuned for that. If you'd like to follow Muj, we will also put a link to his Instagram and LinkedIn at theschooloftravels.com. If you are also interested in checking into whether you or your current company can save on DHL, UPS, and FedEx costs, I will also put a link to Muj's company, Logistic, L-O-J-I-S-T-I-C.com, and you can sign up for free. If you go to theschooloftravels.com, you can also get a discount code for using logistics services on a monthly basis. So please check it out and get that code. For those of you who are interested, I will also include a link to Nomad Base, which is the current land version of the Nomad Cruise community that Muj mentioned in the podcast. They are currently meeting every few months in different locations around the world, and it truly is a fantastic community. Finally, I'd like to wish all of you out there a very happy new year and thank you for your continued support of the School of Travels. I absolutely love sharing this journey with you. Until 2022 listeners, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the School of Travels podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to The Sam Chase for allowing us to use their song, In a Perfect World. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode, and remember to always let travel be your teacher. If you keep your options open, there are places you will go. They will treat you like the kings and queens your parents thought you'd be when you were born. You'd see it all with your head up standing tall, and you'd look back and think it's funny how you spent your time and money.